For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to The Dirt Show. I've always been intrigued, actually since I was a kid, as to why the hard left, the communist left, the uh, what they now call the progressive left, why do they hate the Jews? Why do they pick on Jews? Why is anti-Semitism so closely associated, particularly now with hard left progressives? Um, and, 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 you know, it's also associated, obviously, with the extreme right, with fascism, with Nazism. But uh, the left is increasing in power in the United States uh, and, and increasing in influence all over the world. And they're increasing their, their anti-Semitism. And, and, and with anti-Semitism almost always comes hatred for America. Um, scratch an anti-Semite. And you'll find somebody who's deeply anti-American. That isn't always the case, but it's very, very often the case. And I'll give you examples of it. Uh, the most recent manifestation of anti-Semitism comes in the strangest of places. I grew up in a neighborhood in Brooklyn called Borough Park. Um, and uh, it was a predominantly Jewish neighborhood, modern Orthodox neighborhood. It's now become more of a Hasidic neighborhood, but it abuts another neighborhood, um, which is largely Muslim. Um, I know I used to work, walk to Brooklyn College from Borough Park, and we always passed through the other, uh, other neighborhoods. Everybody always got along fine. Um, the other day, the New York City Council had before it a resolution. The resolution was as simple as could be, end Jew hatred. That is, the resolution was simply a vote calling to end hatred of Jews. It'd be the easiest thing to vote for. It's like vote for apple pie, vote for America, um, you know, vote for good things. Um, and it passed, it passed. But a half a dozen people did not vote for it. Uh, two voted against it and four or five uh, abstained. Uh, the leader of the opposition um, is the representative to the city council from Borough Park, from the neighborhood that I grew up in. Now, she is um, a Muslim woman named Shahana Hanif. Um, when I first saw the name, I thought maybe she was Jewish. Shahana, I confused it with Shoshana, which is a Jewish name. No, it's uh, Shahana Hanif. And, and she voted against it, and was virulently uh, opposed to it. Uh, she is the chair of the council's progressive caucus. And, and, and why did she vote against it? Because it opposed Jew hatred. And she said the people supporting this, namely Jews, they have not stood up for Muslims. They have not stood up for Muslims. They have not stood up for trans New Yorkers or anybody. They haven't stood up for anybody. I'm one of those. Uh, I defend uh, all minorities, um, but they, whenever you hear the word they to describe a particular ethnic group, 
you know you're hearing bigotry and you know you're hearing kind of prejudice and, and discrimination. When you refer to any group as they, um, you know, Jews have a million different opinions. There's an old expression, two Jews, three opinions. It's probably true of almost every every group. So, so she voted against it, um, and she's the head of the Progressive Caucus. Somebody else, uh, a man named Charles Barron, another Brooklyn Democrat, did not vote for it. He abstained. He said he did that because, quote, inconsistency of members of the Jewish community, inconsistency, members of the Jewish community, particularly its leadership, in speaking out against hatred, like hatred of the Palestinian people, like the state of Israel murdering Palestinian women and children and stealing the land. Look, this resolution had nothing to do with Israel. The word Israel wasn't mentioned. Anti-Zionism often is a cover for anti-Semitism. Here, you don't even need a cover. Uh, the guy says he's voting against the resolution to stop Jew hatred because he doesn't like the policies of the state of Israel. First of all, Israel doesn't murder uh, Palestinian women and children, and Israel certainly didn't steal anybody's land. But that's typical of the, the hard left anti-Zionism, anti-Israel. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about pure anti-Semitism. The people who introduced this resolution were talking about Jews being murdered on the streets of Brooklyn, um, Jews being attacked physically. You know, I, I wanted to start an organization uh, of lawyers uh, entitled Hit a Jew, We Sue You, because, you know, the police can't deal with these acts of anti-Semitism. They occur all the time on the streets of, of Brooklyn, and they're always racially motivated. And they're always motivated by anti-Semitism. And most of the people get away with it. And I'd, I'd like to see them sued and, you know, their cars taken away and, and uh, their televisions taken away and, and, and their money taken away. You know, hit a Jew, we sue you. But uh, Charles Barron says, no, um, uh, Jews haven't spoken out. And, and because the Jews, uh, the state of Israel murdering Palestinian women and children and stealing the land, He's going to vote against a resolution condemning anti-Semitism. Barron also accused Jewish community leaders of supporting apartheid in South Africa. Now, I'm a Jewish community leader. I was one of Nelson Mandela's lawyers. I fought against apartheid. I refused to speak at Wits University because they wanted to inspect my speech before I gave it, which was a virulently anti-apartheid speech. Uh, the campaign against the apartheid in South Africa was led by many, many uh, Jews, uh, some of whom ended up in prison, um, some of whom ended up losing limbs and having their lives endangered. A guy named Albie Sachs had his arm blown off, a Jewish guy who was the, one of the strongest opponents of apartheid. You just don't know whether people like Barron are just complete idiots and ignoramuses or are total bigots, or both. Um, I mean, most bigots are ignoramuses. And here you have a guy who's on the City Council of New York accusing Jewish community leaders of supporting apartheid in South Africa. By the way, what was that, 30 years ago? Uh, let's assume it was true. People who are living today in New York weren't responsible for what people did 30 years ago. But in any event, Jews were among the leaders in the fight against apartheid, just as Jews were leaders in the fight against Jim Crow. Uh, I went down south. Um, 
Rabbi Heschel walked with Martin Luther King. Uh, Jack Greenberg, the man who argued Brown versus Board of Education along with Thurgood Marshall was Jewish. This idea of, of, of people turning against the Jews, the Jews, uh, it's just unbelievable. The Anti-Defamation League, which monitors anti-Semitism, has said that this guy, Barron, who's in the city council of New York, he's a public official of New York, quote, has associated with anti-Semitic hate groups and promoted extreme anti-Israel positions intended to demonize the Jewish state. So a handful of people in the city council of New York refuse to condemn anti-Semitism. It's hard for me to imagine uh, anybody refusing to condemn racism or sexism uh, or any other kind of, of, of hatred, but it's okay not to condemn anti-Semitism. That's somehow different. That somehow is permissible. It's okay to be a bigot if you're a bigot against, against uh, Jewish uh, people. Why the left? Why the left? Well, obviously, it started with communism. Stalin organized a group during the Second World War, the Anti-Fascist Committee, all the most prominent Jews uh, to stand up against Hitler and to stand up against fascism. And as soon as the war was over, he got all the Jews who were members of the anti-fascist committee, arrested them, and shot them in the back of the head um, because he was afraid maybe, maybe, maybe they uh, had organized uh, as Jews. Um, and uh, he was, Stalin was prepared to send all the Jews to Birbhajan. Uh, a way out place thousands of miles from the center of Russia and have them live in a basic ghetto. And fortunately he died um, before that happened. And then of course there was the doctor's plot. People said, well, it was Jewish doctors who kids killed Stalin. I wish that were true. That would have been a real, a real, uh, as people have said to me before, would you have represented uh, Adolf Hitler? I would have killed him if I could. And if I were a doctor, I would have killed uh, Adolf Hitler, and I would have killed um, uh, Joseph Stalin if I had the power and the authority to do it. I wouldn't do it as a doctor. I wouldn't do it as a lawyer. I would do it as a human being. I think killing is sometimes justified to stop uh, much, 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 much greater harms. Um, assassination, targeted assassination, can be justified if the person being targeted uh, would kill many, many, many people. You know, it's not within the rule of law. But we don't always live within the rule of law. As a lawyer, I live within the rule of law. But as a human being, I live with the rule of morality. And sometimes morality justifies justifies killing. But I guess that's a different subject for a different day. I have a book that's just, just coming out now. Here. Oh. It's called Dershowitz on Killing. This is book number 52. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if it's available yet. You can check it out on, on Amazon. But in it, I talk a lot about capital punishment. I talk about abortion. I talk about all the issues where the law has to make decisions about who lives and, and who dies. But getting back to, um, to anti-Semitism, uh, when you think about who the anti-Semites in this country are today, they are people from the hard left. They are people from the squad. Uh, and, and again, you name an anti-Semite, and I will show you generally particularly an anti-Semite from the left. And I will demonstrate to you that they're anti-American. In fact, one of the reasons that the left hates Israel so much is because Israel is such a close connection to 
the United States. And if you hate the United States, you're going to hate countries that are greatly allied with the United States. So that's another reason you know that the Soviet Union originally supported Israel because they thought Israel would be a bastion of socialism in the middle of uh, corrupt Arab uh, regimes. Uh, but then when Israel became strong and moved toward a free market economy and toward capitalism, uh, the Soviet Union changed and became very anti-Israel. And along with that went the American Communist Party. And along with the American Communist Party went progressives because progressives, National Lawyers Guild, generally followed the line of the Communist Party in Moscow and the Communist Party in the United States. Um, and you can just trace it. You can see that whatever the communists in, in, in Moscow said, the American Communist Party mirrored. That, by the way, wasn't true of the European Communist Party. Euro-communism was generally uh, much more independent of Soviet communism than was American communism. And, um, and the American progressive left has often followed uh, the lead of the Communist Party. There are, obviously, there are progressives and there are socialists who hate uh, communism and hate uh, what the Soviet Union stood for. But there are too many who followed uh, lockstep uh, there. And so what we see now is a, a very, very discernible trend toward uh, anti-Semitism, toward toleration of anti-Semitism. Um, by, by the hard left. Now, I'm not saying that people on the left are shooting up synagogues. No, that's, that comes primarily from the extreme right, from the fascist uh, Nazi right, um, from the uh, David Duke right, uh, and people like that. But I'm talking about uh, the kind of anti-Semitism that you see in American universities today, where uh, a Jew wearing a kippah uh, on a college campus is not safe. I'm not talking about their ideas not being safe. That's fine. I'm talking about their not being physically safe. I'm talking about them also being downgraded uh, for a class participation. I was a, a professor at Columbia um, uh, who uh, uh, called on a student and the student got up and, and spoke and had a slight accent. And the teacher said, to him, he's a professor with tenure at Columbia. Uh, are you Israeli? And the student proudly said, "Yes, I am." I, and 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 he said, "Did you serve in the in the Israeli army?" "Yes, I did." And the teacher said, "Don't you ever speak in this class unless you're willing to publicly admit that you committed war crimes." I mean, that's a professor at Columbia. Um, yeah, that has to do with um, Israel. But I've heard other stories of uh, students who have been discriminated against in schools just because they wear a kippah doesn't mean that their views on Israel are identical to the views of Israelis or the Israeli government. Uh, again, two Jews, three opinions. There's plenty of anti-Catholic bigotry as well. And it's interesting that there's also, of course, anti-evangelical Christian bigotry. But the progressives don't go after Catholics or evangelicals with the same fervor that they go after Jews. Now, you know, the Catholic Church as a church has opposed many liberal and progressive values such as abortion and gay rights, and, you know, within limits, um, and, and evangelical Protestantism as well, whereas Jews are divided. Many Orthodox Jews are opposed to uh, some abortions, Orthodox Judaism requires abortion uh, when the life of the mother is at stake. But, you know, even the most Orthodox Jews are, are more centrist than 
some of the more extreme Christian religions, uh, but yet the progressives don't go after um, evangelicals with the same fervor they go after Jews, um, and and with the same fervor that they go uh, after uh, they don't go after Catholics with the same fervor. There, of course, Catholics are deeply divided. There are there are progressive Catholics, just as there are many progressive Jews. Uh, there are some progressive Muslims, um, and uh, um, I don't know. There, there are also progressive evangelicals. I think Jimmy Carter would qualify as a progressive evangelical. The point I'm making is different. I mean, Jimmy Carter, too. You know, Jimmy Carter was not a friend of the Jewish people. Um, when he taught uh, Sunday school, um, he repeated some of the worst tropes about Jews um, when he was back in, in, in Georgia. And, and I knew Jimmy Carter. I knew him uh, moderately well. I, I was with him in Israel. I was with him in the White House. Um, he obviously, he had me on his list of people to consider for judgeships. He never, never got to make a Supreme Court appointment. And, and as a person, he's a nice man. But, uh, you know, he had some of the same anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, certainly anti-Israel, anti-Zionist inclinations. Probably he was the least friendly to the Jewish people of any modern president um, and probably the most progressive of any modern uh, president. And so again, the question I ask is why? What is there about the hard left? And I'd be interested in hearing your views on this. What is there about the hard left that inclines them just to not like Jews and to be super critical of Jews, super critical of Zionism, super critical of the nation state of the Jewish people and super critical of America? Because, uh, again, I, I absolutely insist on this. Scratch an anti-Semite, uh, scratch an anti-Zionist, and you'll generally, not always, but generally find somebody who's an anti-American too, an anti-Western, an anti-free market, and anti-some of the most important elements of um, uh, the liberal state. Remember, we have to clearly distinguish liberalism from progressive. Liberals don't have the characteristics that I've just mentioned. They are far more tolerant. Liberals generally uh, don't partake of anti-Semitism to the degree that progressives do. But I think the further you go along the continuum, from right to left. The further you go left, the more anti-Semitism there'll be. I think the further you go right, the more anti-Semitism there'll be too. And there's a very different kind of anti-Semitism. The anti-Semitism of the hard, hard right is more primitive and it's more violent. Uh, it's the shooting in the schools and, that, and the synagogues, that kind of thing. The anti-Semitism of the left is more subtle, it's more sophisticated, and it's far more dangerous. So, um, interested in your letters as to why you think that the hard left has been afflicted with what Albert Einstein called this horrible disease of anti-Semitism. I have a letter uh, in his hand hanging on my wall in which he talks about the, the illness of anti-Semitism, how the people who are anti-Semites are the ones who are ill, not the victims of their anti-Semitism. Uh, when we do our next little visit to my hallways and my my collection. I've gotten a few more things recently. There was a New York antiquarian fair over the weekend and I spent my money there and bought some interesting things. So when we do our next review of my collection, 
Uh, I'll show you the Albert Einstein letter. Okay, let's take some some questions. Um, okay. I think one of the reasons why the Supreme Court is the center of so much controversy is that the Constitution is very hard to amend. It seems easier to follow suit in the Supreme Court and hope that the justices rule in your favor than to carry out the long and laborious process of amending the Constitution. And we've seen this about a lot of issues, and then the letter goes on and on. It's a very good point. It's a very interesting point. The framers of the Constitution deliberately wanted to make it hard to amend the Constitution. You know, we less than 30 amendments to the Constitution in 200 and something years. Uh, that really shows a lot of a lot of stability in the Constitution. Some of them were absolutely necessary. How many of you know that the Bill of Rights originally had 12 amendments and that what we think of as the First Amendment was the Third Amendment and the Fifth Amendment was the Seventh Amendment? Um, uh, so the process of amending started early. The first two amendments were rejected. They had to do with salaries of congressmen and things of technical uh, nature really weren't part of a Bill of Rights. Um, but we've only had, you know, two hand, a few handfuls of, of amendments. Some of them were necessary, like, for example, the, the amendment that undid the amendment that said states couldn't uh, have, have liquor. Uh, that, you know, and then there's a technical amendment, obviously, the, the, the 12th Amendment, um, which uh, grew out of the mistake the framers made about how you elect presidents and vice presidents. But, you know, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were pretty important. Women's rights, uh, young people's rights, pretty important, but it's very hard to amend the Constitution. I think one could make an interesting argument to make it somewhat easier to amend the Constitution so that the Supreme Court didn't have to amend it. You know, the Supreme Court has amended the Constitution. There's no doubt about that. Brown versus Board of Education was an amendment to the Constitution. The 14th Amendment hadn't quite explain that separate but equal can't be equal. And it took Brown versus Board of Education to say that. We amended the Constitution with gay rights. Um, nothing in the Constitution about that. We initially amended the Constitution with abortion rights and then unamended it. So it's, it's an interesting point if we made it easier to have explicit amendments to the Constitution, whether that would reduce the uh, incentive of the Supreme Court to get involved in these kinds of uh, uh, very, very divisive issues. Mr. Dershowitz, you claim that in your day, Brooklyn College was one of the very, very best colleges in America. It absolutely was. However, I also seem to remember you saying in previous episodes that you were a C student in high school, actually C minus. I don't think, I, I once got a grade that said um, uh, in Hebrew, it was bain on knee minus, mediocre minus. I didn't even make it to mediocrity. I was a terrible student. How were you able to get in? Fortunately, Brooklyn College had an exam, a blindly graded exam. And the only way I got into Brooklyn College was by acing that exam. Today, of course, exams are, are, are forbidden. Um, today, you have to decide on equitable grading. Everybody has to get a trophy. Um, we don't grade. Uh, we don't consider we're abolishing uh, the SAT, the law school aptitude test, the medical school aptitude test. As criteria for admission, if that were true, I'd be selling shoes in Brownsville today in Brooklyn. Um, the only way I got into Brooklyn College is because there was an objective exam that I could study for an ace. Maybe that's why I feel so strongly about meritocracy. You know, all philosophy is autobiography. 
and people's philosophical views tend to be a function of what they experience themselves. And so I experienced the benefits of meritocracy. I um, uh, made made it to Brooklyn College on the exam and then became you know, the first in my class, uh, college, law school, based on working hard and, and having the ability to show it. If, if I hadn't been able to prove that through a meritocratic system, I never would have become the success professionally that I became. And so I hope others will be able to follow in that footstep and, and, and work hard and emulate success. But it's becoming harder and harder and harder. I get calls all the time from young kids, Asian kids, very often worked their butt off from elementary school to high school to college, never got less than an A and got turned down. Um, and, and people of a different race um, got admitted over them with mediocre grades. And I think we're going to see the end of that in the Supreme Court. And what we're going to see when the Supreme Court reverses um, uh, race-based affirmative action, we're going to see universities cheat and try to circumvent it, much the way Southern um, universities tried to circumvent Brown versus education, Brown versus Board of Education. We're going to see a lot of cheating, and we're going to see race continue to play a role in the selection process. And we're going to see the slow death of meritocracy, which will lead to the slow death of America's place in the world, because the only way America and other countries uh, lead the world in scientific and other developments is through meritocracy. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal the other day saying that meritocracy in science is dying. Now you get to publish articles based on the virtue of the article, not the scientific merits. And it's worth reading uh, in the Wall Street Journal. It's very disturbing and, and, and very hard to read. Mr. Dershowitz, did you ever want to be a judge? So when I was about 35, Ted Kennedy called and asked me whether I'd be interested in being nominated to be a federal district court judge. I would have been one of the youngest and probably, you know, certainly a possibility that I might have gotten a higher uh, appellate court judge, maybe a Supreme Court justice. I went home and I thought about it very hard that night and I decided I was not born to be a judge. I was born to be an advocate. I was not, if I was a basketball player, I wouldn't want to be a referee. I would want to be, you know, Larry Bird or Michael Jordan. And so, you know, I hope I've been able to do that as a lawyer rather than to be a referee and a judge. So I did think about it. And I decided it's not really what I wanted to do. My mother would have liked me to be a judge, but um, uh, I did a lot of things for my mother, but not that. Professor Dershowitz, I saw a recent Glenn Greenwald podcast, perfect example, progressive, left, anti-Semite, anti-Israel. Glenn Greenwald is a perfect example of what I talked about earlier in which Professor Norman Finkelstein, another progressive, another anti-Semite, another uh, anti-Israel zealot, lambasted you for destroying his career. His accusations were quite damning. Is it ever appropriate to squash someone's right to free speech? Of course not. Let me tell you what happened. I wrote a book called Chutzpah. Um, it was the number one bestseller in the New York Times. I then followed it with a book called The Case for Israel. And that became a big bestseller, and particularly on college campuses. Finkelstein set out to prove that the case for Israel was a forgery. He said the Mossad wrote it, and I just signed my name to it. Fortunately, I write everything by hand, and so I was able to prove, of course, without a doubt, that I wrote every word of it. But when he came up for tenure at DePaul University, I was asked by the committee to describe what he had done, and I simply wrote a letter describing what he had done. And hopefully, as a result of that letter and other things, 
horrible reviews in the New York Times, uh, attacks on him from, you know, many, many major media. He was the I tenure. I didn't destroy his career. He destroyed his career. Uh, it was my free speech that uh, Glenn Greenwald was complaining about. So I'm, I'm proud of the role I played in the Norma Finkelstein uh, matter. Uh, my free speech prevailed in the marketplace over, of ideas over his free speech. That's the American way. Gee, moms and dads surely don't want their 16-year-old daughter's entire life destroyed. I was talking about the morning after pill. If they could easily give that 16-year-old child the morning after pill, I'm against abortion after heartbeat is detected, but before that, it's not a sentient being physiologically. I don't know whether that's true or not. All I can tell you is that the polls show that the vast majority of Americans favor a young girl's right or even a woman's right to end a pregnancy at the very, very, very earliest stages. Some of my listeners and viewers don't, but the majority of Americans do. And the Supreme Court has gotten itself into a box because I don't see how they can say there is a constitutional right to have an abortion the day after if they said there's no constitutional right to have an abortion. Maybe they'll figure it right away. But right now, I think they're, they're in a little bit of a box of their own making. Professor, do you believe that if someone is falsely accused a person of murder in a state where the death penalty, he or she ought to be executed? No, I, I would take it too literally. I think you ought to get life imprisonment, though, if they have deliberately, deliberately uh, framed somebody for a murder that carried with it the death penalty. Um, what is so ironic? Had SCOTUS Supreme Court not overturned Roe versus Wade, the red wave of 2022 would likely have happened for the Republicans, which perhaps could have led to the overturning somewhat later. No, I think I think that's probably right. I think that the decision in the Barnes case had a big impact. And I think that if the Supreme Court is forced to rule that a state has the right to prevent a 16, 17-year-old rape victim uh, from aborting uh, in the first week of pregnancy, that that will cost the Republicans a tremendous number of votes. And I wonder whether or not that will factor into the decision of the Supreme Court in that case. Uh, so um, lots of good letters, lots of good questions. Keep writing them. And particularly, I'd like your views on why you think the left is so focused on, on, on Jews and why they have become among kind of the leaders uh, on college campuses and in the media and other places in uh, efforts to delegitimate not only uh, Jewish individuals, but the nation state of the Jewish people as well. Interested in your opinion. See you tomorrow. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.